Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verse 10 in the Lord's Prayer. We pray that God's kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is. Before we get started, let's beseech the Lord and ask that he would be merciful to us and work in us by his spirit through his word this morning. Father, we are weak. We are unable apart from you to understand. Father, we're a needy people. And we need you this morning to work in our hearts and our minds to awaken us, to stir us, to cause us to understand and lay hold of and advance your kingdom. Father, I ask that this morning you would teach us to pray. You'd help us understand how it is and what it is we're to pray. So, Father, we become more and more dependent upon you, more and more desirous of your fame, of your glory, of your honor, more and more desirous of your kingdom to advance on the earth and that we would plead with you and we would live out your kingdom on this earth for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Prayer is a very difficult thing to do. Wouldn't you agree? It's, it's not easy work. I'll tell you what, prayer is a lot easier to talk about from here than it actually is to perform. I think all of us would probably agree that it's, it's a kind of thing that it seems like it ought to be easy. It seems like it ought to be something that should just be natural. Yeah, of course, let's, we need to pray to God, yeah. But doing it, it's the doing of it that is so difficult. And sometimes, as I, we t- I talked about last week, it's difficult because we're not actually sure what it is we're to pray. What should be the contents of our prayer? And we get, you know, caught up in praying for Aunt Sally's hip and, and just general generic blessings on the family. And, and then we have our little routines. We have our patterns. We have our rhythms. We have the things that we say and pray for. And, and if... And if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll, you'll really begin to acknowledge and understand and realize that, yeah, that's really what happens. And, and the sad part is, is we actually often pray in these rhythms and routines and almost just check out and just feel good that we actually did it because we went through the motions and really there wasn't much there at all. Not a lot of sincerity and not a lot of thought, just pretty much what we do normally. Well, one of the great things about coming to Matthew chapter 6, and and when Jesus talks about it, talks to his disciples and tells them that this is how you're to pray, and pray like this. As we talked about last week, he's not saying pray this specifically, like this has to be your prayer, but pray like this. This should be the content of your prayer. These should be the principles and priorities of your prayer not the exact verbiage. And there's a lot here. As we looked at last week, we even we dealt with the phrase, our, uh, our, our Father who art in heaven, and what that means, that first request when it says, your will be done on earth as it, um, 
I'm sorry, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The fact is that we, we are to become a people and the priority in our prayers are to be that God's name be honored, God's name be esteemed, God's name be declared amongst the nations. This should be our passion. In our praying, we should want and desire God to be exalted. And why was that? Because he is so good. He has done so much for us. He has loved us in remarkable ways. He's not just, we're not just to do this simply out of duty. We're to do this on the basis of who he is. He is our father. He's made us his children. He's in heaven and he has the power to do what he wants on the earth. But now we get to the second request that is related to the first. It's connected. And he says, uh, the next priority here is that we, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That phrase, your kingdom come, we're going to look at that this morning and try to discover what does that mean in our praying. When we pray, your kingdom come, what are we saying? It can actually, it's very connected to the next request. It almost could be said, so that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not like a disconnected next request, like somehow your kingdom come and oh yeah, another separate request, so your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When his God's kingdom comes, what happens is his will begins to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But there's something we have to understand here about this kingdom. There's progressive features to it. First, when Jesus was telling them to pray this, he was declaring that the kingdom of God had already come into their midst. He had said this explicitly in Matthew 12, 28 through 29. He's praying for something that actually is happening at that very moment. He says in Matthew 12, 28, 29, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Not only that, Jesus, who is he? He's Messiah, he's king. The king is in their midst. And he's doing these things. He's saying, when this happens, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this is how it's put in Mark chapter 1, 14 through 15. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. And you know what he was preaching? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus wasn't preaching the good news about a kingdom that was far off to come thousands of years in the future. When he says you pray this, he's praying for something that is to come, that is in their midst right now, and it's, it's progressive. It's not that it still has to come. It still has to advance. And this will happen all the way to the consummation at the end. When Jesus returns, he comes in judgment and he brings the consummation of the kingdom. We pray all the way to that end until the consummation comes. So we're not praying for this, this far-off event that will come thousands of years in the future or when Jesus returns. No, the kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming, and the king, kingdom will come to consummation at the end. And yet, we know that we are in, now in this period of time. We're, we're several years past the coming of Jesus. We're a couple thousand years. And Christ's kingdom has been advancing on the earth. So when Jesus said this, he told us to pray this way. What does he mean? What does he mean when we say, thy kingdom come? 
Well, this phrase was loaded. What do you think the Jews of that day thought he meant? When he told them, the kingdom pray this, well, they're probably saying, yeah, we've been praying this for a long time. This has been the promise of the prophets. The prophets have declared this, especially the prophet Isaiah. Probably no book like the book of Isaiah has declared to Israel what God's plan was. This coming Messiah and his kingdom was going to come on the earth. And the key features that you see throughout Isaiah are this Messiah was going to come and deliver the exiles from bondage. He was going to crush the ruling power that oppressed them. He was going to be the reason that God would dwell among his people. And he was going to bring blessings to the end of the earth. However, there was something about Isaiah that troubled the Jewish scholars. There was something about what Isaiah said in chapters, chapters 40 through 55 that troubled them. What was it? What is it that stymied them? This suffering servant, this Messiah was the suffering servant. You know, probably the most famous passage we all know about is Isaiah 53, right? And this this, this is Messiah. And on him comes this iniquity. He's bruised, he's beaten, he's uh, cast out by his people, he's this reject. You could understand why they're thinking, how does this fit in? How does this all come together? Well, Jesus actually was going to accomplish all that other stuff in Isaiah through suffering, by his suffering. The kingdom would actually come. God would dwell amongst his people. They would be delivered from their oppressor through the suffering servant. Now, of course, they thought of, when they thought of a kingdom, they thought of a kingdom that would come and would deliver them from, guess who, those oppressive Romans. And I would have thought the same thing. Why? Because a kingdom coming and the Messiah coming and delivering is kind of what, look at at what Solomon and David did. When they cried out to God and asked for his deliverance and salvation, God would bring a deliverer. Look at the book of Judges. These were deliverers. These were like saviors. They would come and deliver the people. And what would they do? They would destroy God's enemies, and they would be freed and liberated and have, enjoy the land once more. God's blessing and promise. So, of course, you got hundreds of years of this cycle happening and seeing that when God brings deliverance, when he brings A savior, they save the people from their current oppressors who are physically oppressing them. But what Israel failed to realize were these were just types and shadows of the real oppressor. It was never Egypt. It was never the Canaanites or the Amalekites. It was never Syria. It was never Babylon. Ultimately, behind that is what? The real oppressor. The real ruler of this world. The the one who comes to hold us in bondage was the evil one. And here and so this is what we have. We have Jesus coming to do something that blew them all away. They did not even understand it. It wasn't until the spirit was poured out that God dwelt amongst his people in that way that the lights really started coming on. After the resurrection and the coming of the spirit, it all started to make sense. But here's something we have to realize. When Jesus says that we pray, oh, Lord, your kingdom come. When we pray that, 
It means a kingdom here and now. And I don't think we understand this today like we ought to, nor uh, think of it this way today. And a lot of it has to do is because the church doesn't often pray this in their daily prayers, that, oh, Lord, your kingdom come. And it's also because a lot of theology in the church today thinks of the kingdom that will come at the the return of Jesus, that that's when the kingdom will come. So if they do pray it, they're thinking of this time sometime in the future when Jesus returns. But when Jesus is talking about, as we've already looked at, is that he says the kingdom's in your midst. It's at hand. It's here. The kingdom, when, even when he's telling them to pray, the kingdom was in their midst, standing before them, telling them to pray this way. It's a kingdom for here and now. Not only that, but when we hear what people talk today about hear the gospel preached, the gospel preached today is often very truncated. Because what is meant by that? Well, what is meant by that today is not the gospel of the kingdom. What, what is meant today has, has been a, a foundational aspect. We take an aspect of the kingdom, and one of the aspects of the kingdom is our, say, our justification or forgiveness in Christ. You don't have that, you don't have the kingdom. However, that's not all of the kingdom. That's not all of the gospel. Because another aspect of the gospel, do you know Pentecost is coming up next week. And God pouring out his spirit on his people, do you realize that's gospel? That is incredible. That's part of the promised coming Messiah of Isaiah, that God would dwell amongst his people. So yes, our being justified, yes, our being saved and delivered, that's part of it. Another part of the good news isn't just our forgiveness, but it's also the crushing of the evil one. Dismantling him, that's good news. Him being brought down. So there's, when we think um, of the gospel, this is shorthand. Paul will, you'll hear Paul talk about the gospel in, in some of his letters. And in some of his letters, like in particular Galatians, they're getting something very wrong. And so he goes in there and he starts straightening out their understanding of the gospel. And in that particularly, he straightened out their error. And their error was that they, their understanding of justification. So he straightens it out. But that isn't all of the gospel. When Paul says gospel, he means the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or the gospel of the kingdom. This is how, um, how we often speak. We'll, we'll speak shorthand. So the gospel now represents that. But what's happened today is that the, the whole of our gospel is that God's forgiveness. And it's, that's foundational, but it isn't the whole of it. Because could you imagine, um, take, take several preachers and say, I want you to get up there and I want you to preach the gospel of the kingdom. What do you mean? <laughs> and they'll, they'll think, okay, let's go preach the gospel. God loves you. God has gave his son for you so that he died for you. And, and so if you will believe in him and turn to him, repent and believe, you will be saved. That is the gospel. Well, it's a good start. <laughs> that, that, you're right. That's true. But the gospel, what, what about the crushing of our, of our oppressor, the evil one? What about God dwelling with his people? What about this kingdom going and extending to the ends of the earth? What about the commission? What about, our, you know that our mission as a church is part of the good news? It's this, that the nations, the nations will come in. The nations will be converted. 
That's part of the good news. That's part of the gospel. The extension of the kingdom, our having a mission and commission by Christ is part of the good news, that it's not in vain. The nations will be brought into subjection to Jesus. That's good news. That's gospel. So it's much more full-orbed than we think today. When we say, thy kingdom come, it is a kingdom here and now. It's a kingdom that's under subjection to Jesus Christ as Lord and King. It's a kingdom filled with people who are forgiven, who've who've been washed clean. It's a kingdom of a people that God himself, by his spirit, he dwells within. And it's a kingdom that's ever expanding. It's a kingdom. You know, we've even, we're even set up with our own government. We, we've got a, a way that we govern our body. This is a kingdom here and now. So this is what we have to understand, that it's not something far off in the future. Here's something else we have to understand. Even though I say this, it's a kingdom here and now. It's not like the kingdoms of this world. So when we pray that kingdom come, don't think for a moment, especially when you think of the victory of Jesus and all he's come to do and all he's promised that everything will be subject under his feet. You know, we can become triumphalists and all of a sudden say, let's go get them. But remember what Jesus said. When he was Pilate was in that conver- uh, conversation with Pilate in John chapter 18, 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would do what? If it was, they would fight, he says. So that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus contrasts his kingdom to the kingdoms of this world because it is so unlike the kingdoms of this world. It isn't built with strength, might, or swords. Nor is it governed by the powerful and wealthy. It doesn't exclude certain groups nor put down segments of society. It is a kingdom unlike any other kingdom in this world. It is not of this world. It's the kingdom of heaven. Now, it doesn't mean by saying the kingdom of heaven that that's where the kingdom is. The kingdom's not here and now. No, the kingdom is here and now, but it's not like the kingdoms of this world. It's weird. In this kingdom, black, white, red, and yellow are one. And the same in Christ. In this kingdom, there's no Jew nor Gentile. In this kingdom, there's neither slave nor free. In this kingdom, there's no, neither male nor female. All are one in Christ. That's different. In this kingdom, people lay down their lives for others. In this kingdom, it's more blessed to give than receive. In this kingdom, those who are the least of you shall be the greatest. Those who you are willing to serve and lay your lives down will be exalted. Everything's backwards in this kingdom. It is not like this kingdom, uh, kingdoms of this world. Not only that, how does this kingdom advance? We're going to look at that in a bit. It doesn't advance like other kingdoms. It is weird. So when we're praying, 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And when we pray this prayer, thy kingdom come, we're praying for a kingdom that is here and now. An actual kingdom. But when we say that, don't think worldly kingdoms. It's going to dismantle and destroy all worldly kingdoms, but it is not like the kingdoms of this world. The second thing I want us to note about this is that God's kingdom coming means a new society. And I chose this word, that wording for a reason, just so it wouldn't fall on, the, on deaf ears and we would hear it, 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 uh, the same thing said over and over. And I, go, I hope you're going, hmm, what do you mean, new society? The reason I say this is because the kingdom of God is not something that's simply in people's hearts. It is a real, tangible society. And by that, I mean a group of people called together, living in community, having its own government with a king over them they, they submit to. In other words, the church. When we say thy kingdom come, we've got to understand this means the establishment of a new society within this world. God calls us out of the world into his body, the church. And he's, he's creating a new people. This is that people that he's, he's poured a spirit upon. This is that people whom he's given gifts and he dwells among. This is that people that, that submit to the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And this component of the kingdom is often missing in many people because of our cultural context once again. Because Jesus is received into a person, into an individual's heart by praying a prayer today, they no longer receive Jesus by being baptized into Christ, into his body, the church. That's baptism, the church, what is that? That's later on. That's other stuff. So what you do is we go out and we advance God's kingdom. We do that and we, we have people pray a prayer and receive Jesus into their hearts. But that's not what's happening. They're, they come into Christ and Christ into them when they come into him and his body, the church. And it, there, there's a difference because I've actually watched several videos on YouTube about doing, people doing street evangelism. And they think the deal is done if they can get the person to say, pray with me and you'll receive Jesus at this time. They pray with them and to my chagrin, they walk away and say, I hope you do well. You should read your Bible and pray. You kidding? <laughs> that that is when we pray, "Thy kingdom come." We're, we're we're also praying that God's church would advance. We're praying that people would come out of the world and come into Christ and to His body, the church. The blessings of the kingdom. You know where the kingdom is in Christ. In Christ is the predominant language of the whole New Testament, and the reason you receive Him by coming into Him. But today we think that you receive him by him coming into your heart. And we've got all these little individuals out there. And now some years later, you realize, oh, you know, you should probably go to church. Well, that'd be good. Like some addition, like it's an option. No, it's central. It's, this is what we're calling people into. 
And Paul, this is how Paul puts it in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What is he saying there? Well, we're going to look at shortly. What he's not saying is that you go like this to the world and, and run away and like, ooh, I'm supposed to be separate from you and, and uh, never to talk to you and never look at you. What we're doing is form communities like the Amish and the Hutterites. And we're to separate ourselves from the world. And we're to build a big fence and never let anyone go out there except if you have to do business and run right back in. It's not what he, he, he's not saying that. And and we've got evidence of this from, you know, the the book of Acts and how the, the church was, it grows up within. But just as Jesus says, we're in the world, but not of the world. We call people, when we say, thy kingdom come, and we pray for this, we got to understand that in our actions, not just in our praying, but in our acting, we're calling people out of the world. It's, it's a death and resurrection process. You get a new family. You get a new community. God is forming a new society. We're just not praying this so that people would be converted and stay where they're at. We pray this so that they would truly be converted and come out of the world, come into the church, and then be discipled up into the image of Christ. And this is important to understand because we've got to understand when we pray this, what are we praying? We are praying for the expansion of the church. We are praying for that God would fill his church, that people would come out of the world and come into his body, the church. And there, where God dwells, as he says here, this is where God dwells amongst his people. He nurtures them, he feeds them, he cares for them, he grows them, he matures them and blesses them. This is where it takes place. This is where the kingdom of God, and we see the second part of the request is in, in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will being done on earth, the manifestation of the kingdom, where his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Where is that in the world? Unbelievers? No, that's to be happening in the church. So we're, actually, we're in fact, we're praying, thy kingdom come, we're praying, thy church expand. And this leads me to this, uh, the last point that I'd like to make here about God's coming kingdom. It means advancement. And this is important to say after what I just said about the church and coming out and coming in. It's not to create a holy huddle, as you've heard before. It's not to create this group of people who separates themselves and never sniffs or touches anything outside. It's to create a people that come out, come in, for the purpose then of going back out. There's advancement here. And by this, we have to understand that we have got to, when we're praying this, realize that this is a military call. We, this isn't just something passive that takes place here. In praying this, we're not just, just to pray it, but this actually means involvement. And let me show you how that works. First of all, it means you praying for the preaching of God's word. 
Because one of the things that happened when God advances um, his kingdom, he does it, again, not like the world. He uses foolish means. He's going to say, you know what? You should just get up there and preach. preach. Preach the word. I want you to pray. I want you to have fellowship. I want you to worship. I want you to take part in communion. And, and, and I want you to sing. <laughs> and when you do all that stuff, when you preach the word, when you pray, when you have fellowship, when you partake of the table, you worship, you sing, I'm going to advance my kingdom. This means for you, folks, something in regard to me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Why? Because I'm preaching the word and we want the word to have effect. We want God to attend to it. We want him by his spirit to work in hearts, your hearts and the hearts of anybody who hears. Because unless God moves by his spirit, what are words? What do these words come out of my mouth? But bing, ding, swing, nothing, blah, blah, blah. What's that guy talking about? That it will, it's meaningless. It's, it doesn't stir or change a person one iota. God, by his spirit, must work. Pray. When you pray this prayer, one of the things you have to understand is that you're praying that, that God's kingdom would come. You're, you need to be praying for those who preach. Not just me, but any faithful minister of the word. Anybody who gets up, opens the word, and preaches it. Pray that God would effectively use that. Be passionate about that because you know that's one of the primary means by which he's going to advance the church. That's why the apostles devoted themselves to preaching and to prayer. The word and prayer. Because we have a different kind of sword. The word of God attended by the spirit of God. Look out. (laughs) He can slay thousands. 3,000 that day when Peter proclaimed those words. Go read those words and see what they do. Unless they're attended by the Spirit, they will do nothing. Attended by the Spirit, the people will cry out, Oh, what must we do to be saved? That's what happens when God's Spirit shows up. And that's what happens when God's people pray that, that His Word would have power and effect. Pray for those who preach the Word. Secondly, you have an active involvement in this. Besides... Besides the praying, that's pretty active, very strenuous, very active. But there's a task for all of us in this, and that task is sacrificial love. The Apostle Paul says something that I find quite astounding in Colossians chapter 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Doesn't that catch you as odd? (laughs) What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Lacking? Really? Something's lacking? Well, obviously, Paul is not filling up anything, any atoning value. There's no atoning value to his afflictions, to his sufferings. He's not filling anything up in that regard. But what is he filling up? What is he doing? What is he accomplishing? What he's accomplishing is a real-time suffering servant in flesh and blood in front of you of love and grace. Because the only thing lacking with what Christ did is a real live visual. Everything else is there, but you can, when we tell people about Jesus, we tell of a story that's now 2,000 years old, 
They've got no visual to see it. That's the only thing that's lacking is a present time visual. And this is what happens when Christians suffer. It's in our suffering and in our afflictions that God's power is made known. His grace is made known. When we suffer, one of the distinguishing marks of the church is our ability to suffer so unlike anybody else. You want to you catch someone's attention? Suffer, and then, and then in your suffering, God supplies his grace, and you handle it in a way that they're astounded. Like, what is this? That is a love, that is a grace that is not of this world. It's not. We're the only ones who have stories to tell that are profound, sacrificial stories of love. You watch how some of God has chosen to see some Christians suffer, and then you watch their response and what comes out of their lives, and you step back and you say, wow, that's love. So here's the deal. You know, it isn't Christians living in comfort and ease and prosperity and power that really advance the kingdom on this earth. It's It's the Apostle Pauls, the Blandinas, the Justin Martyrs, the Wycliffs, the Bonhoeffers of this world. They are the ones that cause the evil empire to crumble. Should this surprise us? Well, Jesus gave up his life and he crushed the powers of evil while loving us and delivering us from sin all at the same time. Jesus is the chief cornerstone that was laid and the apostles are the foundation laid with him. And you know what's interesting about all the apostles? All of them suffered. All of them died except one but even still, that one suffered greatly. John, is on, he's a prisoner on the island of Patmos when he gets the, the revelation. It's through our sufferings. And here's the thing. I don't want to have us think for a moment that it's, um, it's those who are impoverished that are the only ones who manifest this grace and display to the world the power and the goodness and the kindness and the grace of the kingdom. Because rich people and poor people, if they're in the kingdom, if they're in the church, they're going to receive suffering. They'll have plenty of it. It's how we act and how we take on and how we embrace the suffering for the sake of the world. And in our suffering, the grace of God is manifested. You know, here's the the weird thing. We live in an age, we live in a time when we have known nothing but just abundance of blessing. We live in America. The land, really, which flows with more milk and honey than any people have ever known. We start to think, we start to equate Christian, faithful Christian living with posh, easy lifestyle. We start to have the American dream, right? Nice house, white picket fence, three-car garage, hopefully filled. You know, we've got... Abundance of food, we've, we've got two little kids and a dog, we've got everything nice and quaint and pretty and sweet. And it's actually a lot of our goal, it's our passion, a thing that we start going after. But it's not, we, we kind of like want post-resurrection now. 
when what we've been promised is suffering. Now, again, this doesn't mean there are some people that have way more than I've described. But that's the station that God has placed them in life. That's what he's given them. Wherever God has called you, there remain and be faithful. But I'll guarantee you, each of us in our situations are going to find trials and suffering. Don't hate it. We can go back to what Paul said. And he said he glories. I rejoice. He says, now I rejoice. Did you hear those words? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So that you might see the grace of God in my life. You might see the love of God working through my life. How is it that you could love those people, Paul, that are beating you? How is it, Stephen, that you could say that? They stoned you to death, and he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's not of this world. Who would say that? What love is there like that? What, what grace is there like that? God will build his kingdom through the cross. So when we're praying your kingdom come so that your will be done on earth as in heaven. We have to be prepared as a people for suffering. But in the midst of your suffering, you know, you will, you will know what the world can't know, grace. And you'll say, it's sufficient for me. His power is made known in weakness. If you want to see the kingdom come powerfully, you have to be ready and willing to embrace suffering. You have to be realized that we are going to one day, we have to get up and stand up and declare the truth. And in the face of the truth, they could shoot you. They could burn you. They could execute you. And you have to be ready for that. You have to embrace that. You have to know that, that this is going to be the means. As Justin Martyr said, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. You can look in the history of the church when it explodes and the, it, it happens on the backs of a lot of saints giving their blood. The Reformation, we can talk about all the greatness of the Reformation. Do you know how many people gave their blood, how many people were burned, how many people were executed. This wide sweeping reformation and revival happened on the back of the saints being willing to suffer. And why? Because their Lord suffered for them, gave himself for them. These are a people who they know they, we can all face death and suffering because we have the promise. The afflictions of this world are, are not worthy to be compared, the sufferings of this world, not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in the sons of God. We have such a hope. We have such a promise. We have a Savior who's risen from the dead. We know that, oh, death, where is your sting? We know that death itself has lost its pain, its sting. God will meet us in the midst of it. 
he will even, even as we're being burned in the stake, we will experience a grace from God that you cannot think or imagine until the day you're in it. God will be with you. And it'll be that through those means that his kingdom will come. Now, you know what this does? It flips the whole thing upside down. Well, I was thinking, you know, if we really want to advance the kingdom here, you know, if we had, you know, write me a check for $10 million, get me some really movers and shakers, we'll get the right people on the team, we'll make this thing. You know, what we start thinking like is just like the kingdoms of this world are built. That's not how his kingdom's built. It's not. It'll be through weakness. It'll be through suffering. It'll be the kind of ironic way that Jesus initiated it through a cross. So Jesus says to you, take up your cross and follow me and we'll go build the kingdom. So do you realize what you're praying for? There's a lot to be prayed for. When we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this means a lot of it. This means that this is actually a kingdom here and now. It's a kingdom that is not like this world at all. It means that this, this means the building of the church, this new society. And it means that it will be advanced through suffering, through the preaching of the word, through prayers, through worship, through all these means and ways that are just contrary to the world and everything in it. To manifest the goodness, the grace, and the power of God. There's a lot we're praying for here. Thy kingdom come. That's why it's just a principle and a priority in our prayer. And as we pray it, there's a lot of things we need to pray for. It could keep us busy for a while. As we, go, as we end up going through these things, you can see why they're priorities and headers for what Jesus is talking about. You know, someone's praying all night long. And if you know what to pray for, and you know the categories under which to pray, you'll find that you don't have nearly enough time. You don't. There's so much to pray for. Even in this one phrase, your kingdom come. Amen.